Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. Okay, okay, okay. I know I'm super late for it, but I just saw Thelma and Louise for the first time the other weekend. I know this will be old news to most of you, but Gina Davis is absolutely incredible in that movie. She's funny and vulnerable, but defiant in this magnetic way that you really understand why someone would want to follow her to, you know... You know, <laughs> she's got a new memoir called Dying of Politeness, and she talked to NPR's Rachel Martin about how each of her big movies taught her something important about life. And when they get to the Thelma and Louise section, she talks about learning to find her own agency and strength and ability to speak up for herself. But it wasn't anything about the role that taught her those lessons. It was being around Susan Sarandon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Acorn TV. Acorn TV isn't just good. It's brilliant, with exceptional television from around the world. Their romances are more charming, their mysteries cozier, their noirs more gripping, and their comedies cleverer. More clever? Oh, you get it. Acorn TV is brilliant stories told brilliantly. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. So, in a nutshell, Acorn TV. Brilliant. For an Oscar-winning actor, Gina Davis has suffered from a lot of self-doubt over the years. It's a theme in her new memoir, which is titled Dying of Politeness. One of Davis's first jobs was in retail, and she soon got noticed after modeling in a shop window. A casting director saw her photos in a sales catalog, and all of a sudden, she was in a movie with Dustin Hoffman, the 1982 hit comedy Tootsie. Uh, one more thing, Miss Mindfuls, I forgot to give you these. Thank you. Oh, are these for today? Yes. Uh, they always throw stuff into the last minute. You could lose your mind around here. Oh, my goodness. What's wrong? I have to kiss Dr. Brewster. Ah, uh, yeah. He kisses all the women on the show. We call him the tongue. For that role, the casting director decided to contact model agencies and see if they had any models who could act. And then uh, I got to go to the audition. And they said, wear a bathing suit under your clothes in case you read well. They want to see you in a bathing suit. Okay, so I do. Mm -hmm. And I read, and it's just with an assistant casting person in an office videoing. And then she doesn't say, can I see you in a bathing suit? So I put it completely out of my mind. Of course, my first audition, nothing's going to happen from this. So, um, But then it turned out uh, Sidney Pollack, the director, saw my tape and said, hey, I like her. Where's her bathing suit set? Oh, we forgot. We'll get her back. We can't. She's in uh, Paris. Well, do they have any photos of her in a bathing suit? And as it happened, I had been in a Victoria's Secret catalog. And so they were able to send over beautifully lit, perfectly, you know, windblown. And I ended up getting the part without them seeing me in person in a bathing suit. Tootsie was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. This was in 1983. Obviously, just being part of that cast opened doors for you. But you write a lot in the book about this self-criticism that you've done ever since you were a kid. You're insecure about your height, Mm -hmm. about your looks. Mm. Acting is sort of the wrong line of work for a person with those characteristics, no? Well, right? I was somebody who couldn't stand for people to look at me or if they were staring at me or saying, oh, what are, they, what are they judging me or something. But then I pick the goal of having as many people as possible look at me. So I don't know. In your underwear. In my, and also <laughs> including up to and including my underwear. So, um, so I don't know. The only thing I can conclude is that 
maybe I was attracted to the ability to be somebody else. Thelma and Louise came out in 1991. You were originally attached to the film as Louise, which I didn't know. No, actually. The movie was cast like two or three times before I ever got cast. Ah. Um, it took me a year to intensely following it and uh, lobbying to have a chance to audition. And I thought that I should play Louise. So finally, Ridley Scott, he was going to produce it, but now he decided to direct it himself. I met with him and I poured out my heart about why I absolutely must be in this movie and play Louise. And then he finally says, so in other words, you wouldn't play Thelma. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just talked myself out of this movie because <laughs> right. I asked for the wrong part. So then I said, uh, you know what? As I've been talking about this, I realize I actually should play Thelma. And then I just made <laughs> up about why I absolutely had to be Thelma. <laughs> when he hired uh, Susan Sarandon to play Louise, as soon as I met her, I was like, oh, my God, what was I thinking that I could play <laughs> Louise? What? What? <laughs> I was so happy I was Thelma. I mean, that movie, words fail, really, to express what that meant to so many women and young women to see these female characters central to this story. Well, the whole experience had a huge impact on me. I think Susan Sarandon had the largest impact on my life of anyone that I've known. And uh, it was as fantastic as I assumed that it was going to be making that movie. No, Thelma, we don't need the lantern. The place has electricity. Oh, okay. No, I won't take it anyway, just in case. In case of what? In case there's some escaped psycho killer on the loose who cuts the electricity off and has to come in and kill us. Sure. Watching the way Susan walked through the world, uh, mm. how she said what she thinks without any qualifiers in front of it. You know, like everything I said started with, this is probably a bad idea. I don't, and you're going to hate it, probably. But what would you think? Possibly? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and she never did that. And somehow I'd never been exposed extensively to a woman who moved through the world like that. And it was like a lesson every day in how to speak up for yourself. You credit doing A League of Their Own with really discovering yourself as an athlete. Yes, absolutely. Because I had been very unathletic uh, growing up and uh, in my life. I didn't know how to play any sport. And then taking up baseball and doing rather well at it and the coaches talking about how well I was doing and all that made me realize, wait a minute, maybe I am athletic. And mm. so it really changed my perspective on myself. And you are an archer, Gina Davis. You are ah. really, really good at archery. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I took it up because it seems so random, but I had to learn some other sports and skills for other movies. And I kind of was good at all of them. And then I thought, well, this is the movie version of these skills. Mm. Um, and I want to take up something in real life. And then I saw archery on TV during the Olympics, and I thought, wow, that is so beautiful and dramatic. I wonder if I'd be good at that. What does it give you that's different than being an actor in the public eye? Well, I realized it's the exact opposite, in a way, to my day job, which is totally 
subjective. It's all judged on um, other people's opinions and how the box office is and all that kind of thing. And that archery and uh, and sports is based on how you actually did. You know, did you hit the bullseye or not? And so I only realized, you know, well into it that that was one of the things that was incredibly appealing to me was that, that you could get satisfaction from how well you did instantly without anybody else's opinion having to come into it. Gina Davis, her new memoir is called Dying of Politeness. It was such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. It was really fun. Thanks. On the TED Radio Hour... In the middle school cafeteria, Ty Tashiro always sat with his equally nerdy buddies. The socially awkward kids who were the furthest thing from cool. And he often wondered, Why am I so socially awkward and what am I going to do about that? Now Ty is a psychologist and expert on awkwardness. And he has some answers. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Former President Trump is in serious legal trouble. And at the same time, he wants his old job back. It's a really big story, but with different trials in multiple states, with plea deals, testimony, gag orders, it's also really hard to follow. So we created Trump's Trials, a new NPR podcast where we break down the big news from each case and talk about what it means for democracy in weekly episodes. I'm Scott Detrow. Check out Trump's Trials from NPR. These days, it can feel like the news is fighting for your attention wherever you turn, but staying informed shouldn't be a battle. Everything you need to navigate the stories that matter to you is at your fingertips. The NPR app cuts through the noise, bringing you local, national, and global coverage. No paywalls, no profits, no nonsense. Download the NPR app in your app store today, or you can go to npr.org slash 